grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord to which I direct your attention for our learning and instruction this morning comes from Judges chapter 15, verses 11 through 20. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. They said to him, We've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, Swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, The Spirit of the Lord came on him powerfully. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, With a donkey's jawbone I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone I have killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramoth-Lehi. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned, and he revived. So the spring was called En-Hakore, and it is still there in Lehi. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. This is the word of our Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is our hope and our strength, my dear friends. Perhaps you recognize this fellow. His nickname was the Round Mound of Rebound, Charles Barkley. He played basketball professionally with the Philadelphia 76ers and then later with the Phoenix Suns. And he's known for playing tenaciously. He was a tenacious rebounder, but he was also known for playing somewhat dirty. And he lived dirty when he wasn't on the hard court as well. He unapologetically went on drinking binges, gambling binges, and he was a habitual womanizer. And so because he was such a great athlete, many fans of the 76ers, especially young ones, looked up to him. And he began to draw criticism. There are those who said that he was a poor example for all the kids around him who respected him for his athletic ability. And this is how he responded to them. I am not a role model. Just because I dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And so here we see that he was a role model of the worst kind, right? Our world 
and the Bible are full of Charles Barclays. Full of people who are role models of the worst kind. And today, the central figure of the text that is before us, Samson, was a role model of the worst kind. He took the strength that God had given him and he used it in all kinds of ungodly ways and for ungodly motives. Last week, we had learned in the sermon that Samson took a liking to a young Philistine woman and he wanted to marry her. She was an unbeliever, but he's going to marry her nonetheless. And so during the feast-long, or the, the week-long wedding festival, um, he had issued a challenge to his wedding companions. They were all Philistines. He said, I've got a riddle for you, and if you can answer my riddle, I will pay you 30 sets of clothing. If you can't, then you have to pay me. Well, they had a week to figure it out, and after three or four days, they had no clue. So these Philistine men went to his fiance and they said, you get him to talk. Get him to cough up his riddle, or we will kill you and your father. So his fiance nag, 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 nagged him until he told her. She told his companions, and the companions answered the riddle. And Samson became upset. He called his fiancée, he referred to her as a heifer, and then in order to pay off his debt, he went out and he killed 30 Philistines, took their clothes, and he turned those in. And he went off in a rage, and there was no wedding. That was chapter 14. Now in chapter 15, just ahead of our lesson, Samson goes back to the home of his fiancée, and he says, I want her as my wife, but her father says, no, you can't. I already gave her to somebody else because I thought you hated her. Samson doesn't let it go. Now he says, I'm really have, I really have a reason to take out revenge on the Philistines. So this is what he decided to do. He went and he captured 150 pairs of foxes, 300 of them. Now imagine doing that. That means he's got to reach down and pull them all out of a hole, and they're snarling and biting, right? And this is going to take not just a day, this is going to take at least a week and maybe even weeks to accomplish. But he gets a pair of them, he ties them together by their tails, and he attaches a torch in between the tails, and he sends them zigzagging all through the Philistine countryside. At the beginning of this chapter, it tells us this was the wheat harvest, which means the rainy season is over, the golden grain is dry and is standing in the fields, the orchard grass is dry in the groves, and the foxes are dragging torches through it all. Do you remember seeing pictures of California and of Australia, their wildfires? That's what the country of Philistia would have looked like. Fires burning out of control everywhere. All of their grain gone. All of their olives gone. Their, their vineyards burned up. Because of Samson's actions, there would be poverty and starvation 
throughout the land of the Philistines. And they were angry. And so they went to his fiancée's house, killed her, and killed her father. And that sent Samson into an absolute rage. He went out, and any Philistine he came across, he killed them. And that brings us to our text. The Philistines sent a contingent of representatives to the Israelites whom they had subjugated, and they said, you bring us Samson, or we're going to burn your cities to the ground. And so Samson, or excuse me, that group went to Samson and said, we've got to tie you up. We've got to turn you in. And Samson said, okay, just don't kill me yourselves. So they tie up Samson, new ropes, and they bring him out in the middle of the field, and they walk away from him, and then the Philistines surround him, and they're charging at him, yelling and screaming in a rage. Samson breaks the new ropes that he was tied with like they were burnt yarn. He looks down, and he sees a donkey carcass, and he grabs a jawbone from it, and he starts mowing down Philistines. A thousand of them. I want you to think about that for a minute. The strength and endurance that that would take. If any of you have ever done um, any interscholastic wrestling, okay, um, you know that, or if you, even if you've watched it, it, there are three periods in wrestling, and in high school it's two minutes, and you get to college, it's three minutes each. And if you've ever wrestled, even for two minutes, it's total exhaustion just after one two-minute round. And after a match of six or nine minutes, every major muscle group in your body is burning, it's spent. That's just six or nine minutes, right? Consider what it would have taken for Samson now to kill a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey. If he killed two a minute, that would be 120 an hour and about eight hours straight to kill a thousand. And he was exhausted at the end of it. He was spent. His energy was gone. And at that point, he was so thirsty and dehydrated, he was about to die. Now here's a man who for most of his life is going out and doing his own thing, trusting in his own power, doing what he feels like, when he feels like doing it, and now he's got nothing. So what does he do? He cried out to the Lord, must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? He now turns to God for help. What would you do in God's place? Here's a fellow who took the strength that he had been given and used it in all kinds of unholy ways. The Lord says in his word, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what Samson had to say after... The Philistines harmed his wife. 
since you've acted like this, I swear I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. Now imagine if a soldier came back from Iraq and started bragging to you about all the people he killed. What would you think? It's a little twisted, right? Here we have Samson who's saying, I'm about revenge. It's not about God. It's not about country. This is all about me. Does it get any more ungodly than that? The Lord says, you shall not murder. And yet, after killing a thousand men, Samson sings a poem. With a donkey's jawbone, I've made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I've killed a thousand men. Using modern terms, how would we describe Samson? Mass killer terrorist? So what would you do in God's place when Samson cries out for help? Now before you ring in with your final answer, take a moment to think about what it would mean if God were to stamp out any one who commits violence or acts of hatred in this world. Think about that. How many of us would make it through childhood? As toddlers, we've thrown toys at our siblings or their playmates with the intent to harm, right? Little terrorists. At the age of teenagers and adults, We've taken the mouths that God has given to us and we've set people's reputations on fire with gossip. When someone else has done a task better than we could do it, rather than complimenting them, we've criticized. When someone needs a word of comfort, we perhaps have just put the screws to them a little deeper. You brought this on yourself. You made your bed go sleep in it. And so as a result, our own hearts, our own minds, we aren't any different than Samson's, right? Seeking our own interests. And what's the only thing that has really kept you and me from killing some people on occasion? Is it not the fear of doing prison time? Because I know in my life and in your life, there have been moments when you want to wring somebody's neck, right? Only thing that stopped you was the fear of the consequences. Just that Samson has more guts than we do. So what should God do with Samson? What should he do with the likes of us when we take the strength that he has given and we use it for ungodly reasons, we use it in ways that attack God? Well, you know, I know, Samson knew. We know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. So what did God do 
with regard to Samson when he was calling out for help when he was dying of thirst? Did he pull a page out of Sodom and Gomorrah and turn him into a pillar of salt like he did Lot's wife for looking back at the cities? Did he open up the ground and swallow him like he did with Korah when Korah challenged the leadership of Moses and of Aaron? No, then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. So the spring was called en and it is still there in Lehi. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So when Samson's strength was spent, when he had nothing left, when he could no longer look to himself, he finally looks to the Lord for help, and he gets it. And instead of ending Samson's life, the Lord extends his life. How could God do that? Does God just say, I don't care about murder? Is God saying, I don't care about womanizing? Is that what he means? Does God simply give sin a pass? If not, then what does God do with the guilt? Well, he puts it somewhere. He puts it on someone God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So think of all the sins that were committed before Jesus died on the cross. Samson's sin. He deserves to die. You've got all the sins of Abraham, of David, of everybody in the whole world, and God, he puts it off. He puts off the guilt and the punishment. And then Jesus comes to this point where he's hung on a cross and God not only reaches into the past, but he reaches into the future and he takes all the things that you and I have done as little terrorists and as big terrorists, all that guilt, and he piles it all up in one place and he unloads it on his son Jesus. And he became the sacrifice of atonement so that now you have peace with God. It was because of Jesus that God forgave Samson and extended Samson's life so that he could go on serving. Samson was not a good role model. In his weakness, he didn't control his strength, did he? In his moral and spiritual weakness. And you and I find ourselves... (laughs) in the same place. If only I could control my temper. If only I could control my drinking. If only... And when you're doing all of that, remember, brothers and sisters, this. Just as the Lord provided water miraculously to revive Samson So in the waters of our baptisms, he has revived you and me. Instead of ending our lives there, he extended our lives to eternity, didn't he? And when you're struggling with weakness, you're struggling to use your strength to serve the Lord, just as Samson struggled when so often you fail, and turn to the word, 
turn to the supper that you're going to receive here because in that God gives you strength. He points you to the work and the power of Jesus and he infuses you then with gratefulness and thankfulness and love for him so that you're able to respond with encouragement to criticism, with kindness to cruelty, with love for hate. When you are weak, God is your strength. And as you revive Samson, so he will revive you and he will revive me. Yes, there are days when, like Samson, we are role models of the worst kind. And even so, the Lord still gives us the privilege of serving him, doesn't he? And as he used Samson to continue to carry out his work, so the Lord, brothers and sisters, will continue to use you. So strengthened by his supper, renewed by his word, clinging to his love, being a model of others of repentance, of turning away from sin, renouncing the evil that you've done and clinging to Jesus for peace, then go forth into the world and serve God knowing that he has wonders for you to perform with his power. Amen.